0: All right, church family, we're going to dig into the book of Jude together this morning. So would you find that? It's not hard to find. You go to the end of your Bibles, find the book of Revelation, turn back one page, and there you are. There's this one little one-page book in the Bible called the book of Jude. You could also use a YouVersion app on your smartphones, find our church, click that, on, and everything that you need will be right there in the palm of your hands. All right? As you're doing that, how many of you have ever seen the, the T-shirt or the saying, keep calm and carry on? You guys re- recognize that? Yeah, a lot of us have. Do you know the origin of that? Some of you do. I did not. I was like, what's the origin of this? So I, I did a little digging. The origin of this is that the government of the United Kingdom created this, created these posters in 1939 to prepare their people for World War II. That's the origin of this. Keep calm and carry on. That was their motto during World War II. Now, of course, in America, we can take anything from Great Britain and mess it up, you know? And so we've created lots of t-shirts and sayings, right? I like keep calm and eat bacon. That's a pretty good life motto, actually. My favorite two, I think, are on the right. Keep calm and... Rawr, rawr. I said keep calm! Right? And uh, <laughs> the kid's favorite is keep calm and... Nana, 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 Batman. Whatever that means. All right. But so we're thinking about keeping. And, and the reality is... Okay. The reality is where you and I choose to keep ourselves is one of the most important daily choices that we get to make. How you choose, or where, if you will, where you choose to keep yourself is one of the most important daily choices we get to make. Well, the Bible has some instruction for us on the number one place where you and I get to choose to keep ourselves. May I show you? Jude, verse 20. But you, beloved... Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, here it is, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. There it is. Well, if you're new to Trinity, uh, what we like to do is we like to take a passage of scripture, treat it like a filet mignon, Carve it up in bite sized chunks, chew on it, digest it, and do the next. We'll go phrase by phrase, all right? So that's what we're gonna do with this passage together this morning. So let's do it, let's go. But you, beloved, that's our first bite-sized morsel right there. When the Bible says, but you, that's obviously in contrast to something that I was just talking about. So Eric, last week in his great sermon, talked about these people who have crept into the church. They're divisive and they're destructive. They're like, you remember, like these hidden reefs he talked about, that, that you can't really see them, but they're destructive. They're like these waterless clouds. Remember, like, those are the kind that are over my house for the past nine months, right? Waterless clouds. They, they they appear helpful but they're really hollow, right? Those kind of people have crept into the church. In contrast to that, you be different. And remember that you are, he calls them, beloved. You're loved. And that points back to Eric's first sermon a couple weeks ago where he camped out on just verse one of this book. Spent the whole sermon on just one verse. Here's a verse this reminds you what it says. To those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So when you give your life to Jesus Christ, like all the children on stage did this morning, there are three truths about you. You are called, beloved, and kept. In other words, God called you. May I just say this to you plainly. If you have a relationship with God, it's because he called you into that relationship. He initiated it. That's what the Bible calls grace. It's God's loving initiative towards you. You are called, he called you to himself. And also, you're beloved. I love reminding you of this, that God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. If you are in Christ, you are in a state of being loved by God that will never end. You're beloved in God the Father and you're kept for Jesus Christ. God keeps you. Here's how Jesus put it in John 10. He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hands. So, as the children did this morning, when you put your life into God's hands, you are literally, if you will, double-gripped in the hands of God. So the issue then with your salvation is not how firm of a grip you have on God, but how firm of a grip God has on you. You are double-gripped in the hands of God. And my neighbors and friends, all of you listening online around the world, he's got a good grip. You are kept by God for God. So now the question is, okay, so what? So what that I'm called, loved, and kept? Well, beloved, this passage says that we are, if you will, kept to Keep. So let's go back. Here's the primary command in our, our passage today. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So keep calm and eat bacon. Keep calm and nanny a Batman. All right. I don't care about all the other stuff. The most important place where you and I need to keep ourselves is in the love of God. Because we are in the grip of God. We're in the hands of God. He just wants us to keep ourselves there, right? So when just sort of meditating on this, thinking about the love of the Father and being in his grip, we could choose to be like a toddler throwing a hissy fit. You know one of those toddlers that just throws a tantrum, and you're in, you're in daddy's arms, right? And you can cry about it, and you can whine about it, and you can try and wiggle out, but check it out, dad's not letting go. Dad's got a really good grip on you. And he loves you no matter what, even when you're being a whiny brat. But you're not really making life super happy for him right now either, right? You could be like that in the father's arms, or, you could be like this. Do you know an older couple, and I mean older, that's been married for a long time? I mean decades. 60 years, maybe. I don't know how to say this, but they're just at home in each other's hands. They know no other place. They're at home in each other's hands. They're comfortable there. You could also be like that. A matter of fact, the Bible talks about the metaphor of marriage as Christ in the church. He's the groom or the bride. You could also be like that. Where you enjoy your relationship with the Lord so much, you're just at home in his hands. And you look forward to, to that time with him. Here's how Jesus put it in John 15. He said, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. So we are kept by God, but we also need to keep ourselves in the love of God. We are loved by God, but we also need to abide to make our home to remain and stay, keep ourselves in the love of God. That's our command. So then, okay, I get it. That's my command, how do I do that, Pastor Well, I'm glad you asked. This passage tells us how. There are three uh, modifying participles, all right? I just busted out some junior high English class on you right there, all right? But there are three modifying participles in this passage that tell us how. So let's go back and look at them phrase by phrase. Here's the first way, by building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. So let's digest this phrase. First, notice, please, you have to build yourself up. Nobody else can do this for you. You have to participate in this process of spiritual growth. I've been a pastor for 30 years. I've never seen one person grow spiritually by osmosis. You got to get involved. You have to spend time with God. You got to spend time in His Word. You got to spend time in His prayer. You got to spend time in His fellowship. You got to do church. You got to build yourself up. Don't you just wish you could go to the gym and sit there and watch all these other people work out and it would have an effect for you? But life just don't work that way. You got to participate in this process, bro. You got to build yourself up. And then notice it says build yourself up on. Now we're getting down to the root of life. Now we're talking about your foundation. What are you building yourself up on? You could choose some of the stuff that the world offers, fame, fortune, power, prestige, selfish ambition. But like Jesus said, when he closed the greatest sermon in the history of the world, the Sermon on the Mount, he compared it to, if you hear my words and obey them, that's like building your life on the rock. But if you hear my words and you don't obey them, that's like building your house on the sand. So all these foundations that the world offers you, fame, fortune, power, prestige, and the like, I just got one word for you, beloved. Hashtag sand. It's all sand. Instead, may I exhort you as your brother to build yourself up on your most holy faith. Now, what's that? Well, if you look back up in the book of Jude, back to verse three, it tells us, it says the most holy faith is the faith that was once for all, all time, handed down to the saints. The faith that was once for all time handed down to the saints. And so in this, I get to remind you about this book. May I remind you, okay? This book is the revelation of God. God chose, by his grace and his love, to reveal himself to us. And he revealed himself to men who, under the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote down what God wanted them to write. They wrote down what God wants you to know about him, what God wants you to know about you, what God wants you to know about the past, the present, and the future. This is the revelation of God. They wrote it down, and they spread it around. And other men, because they loved this so much, meticulously and carefully copied it, and then they also spread it around at the risk of their own lives, and then those people meticulously copied it and spread it around at the risk of their own lives, and onward and onward from generation to generation. So now you have this handed to you. The revelation of God has been handed down to you at the cost of many lives because so many people in, in the faith, we're standing on the shoulders of great men and women who at the cost of their lives made sure that you received the revelation of God. This is your book. This is your most holy faith. Build your life on this. Amen. Hashtag rock. This is your rock. All other ground is sinking sand. And this is the book of Love. You want to keep yourself in the love of God? Build your life on the book of love. Makes sense. Secondly, how do you keep yourself in the love of God? By praying in the Holy Spirit. By praying in the Holy Spirit. Okay, what does that mean? Some people immediately say, well, that means praying in tongues. In my opinion, that's way too narrow and shallow of an understanding of that phrase. To pray in the Holy Spirit means to pray in partnership or in cooperation, or uh, according to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Because beloved, you have to remember, prayer is a two-way dialogue, it's a two-way conversation between your spirit and God's spirit, all right? Here's how the book of Romans puts it, why would you pray without the help of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is here to help you pray. And the same way Paul told the church in Rome, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So the next verse says that he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Okay, so here's how this works. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2 that no one knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him, and aren't you glad that not everybody knows all your thoughts? Right? Right? No one knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him in the same way no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. It makes sense. The Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. The Holy Spirit knows the heart of God. And he also searches your heart. So when you pray... Invite the Holy Spirit to help you pray, because he knows the mind of God. He knows the heart of God, and he searches your heart. And so in the communion between his spirit and your spirit, there is some great prayer time. Because, and way too many Christians do this today, the only time they go to prayer is when they treat God like a vending machine. When it's like, God, give me this, and God, I want this. That's just a shallow prayer life. Instead, camp out in the throne room of God, cooperate with the Holy Spirit, spend enough time there to hear from the Holy Spirit what he wants you to pray about because the Holy Spirit is going to guide you to pray about the things that God cares about, that God has a heart for. And when you pray in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, you're praying about what God has a heart about. And then when you pray what God cares about, then God moves. Ask God to do what God wants to do. Bam! Great stuff happens. That's praying in the Holy Spirit. And what's at the heart of God? It's love. God is love. What does God want to do? Show his love. So how do you keep yourself in the love of God? You pray in the Holy Spirit. And here's the third and final way. By looking forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Whew, I love this. Looking forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. This is obviously talking about his return, the return of Christ. And that phrase, looking forward, means to earnestly expect. All right? It's, it's a confident expectation. It's anticipation out of expectation. There's another passage in Titus that uses similar language. This is what it says. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, this is what separates, this is our hope, okay? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is your hope. And this is what separates our hope in Christ from the world's hope that it has to offer. When the world offers you hope, let's just be honest, it's wishful thinking. The world's hope is, man, I hope that with Dak Prescott coming back today that the Cowboys can find their offense again so we can win, right? That's wishful thinking. That's worldly hope. Biblical hope is different. Biblical hope is Jesus Christ is coming back. As surely as he came the first time, he's coming again. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. It's different. It's confident expectation. It's anticipation of a certain future. But the cool thing about biblical hope is it also has a present impact. Let me show you one more passage from the book of Hebrews. Check this out. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope, there it is, that's us, set before us, may be greatly encouraged. Stop there. When you take hold of this hope that Jesus Christ is coming back for you, what's the present impact? You are greatly encouraged. Today. Now, I'm just going to tell you this because I'm your pastor and I love you. I've listened to many of you talk about how our country's going to hell. And I'm not saying I disagree with you, but a lot of you are really discouraged about what's going on in the world. May I remind you, as your brother, to flee and take hold of the hope that is set before you that you may be greatly encouraged today. Jesus Christ is coming back. I was in my solitude time with the Lord this week. And, uh, well, okay. My doctor says, Sherm, you're a heart attack waiting to happen. All right? I've got heart disease. Some of you know that. And so that's never, sometimes when you have a disease, um, it's never too far from your mind. You live with it. It's like you have cancer. You just learn to live with it, right? And so I was in prayer this week. And uh, just experiencing some tightness in my chest. And here's what the Lord spoke to me in my prayer time. What are you worried about? Either you're coming to me or I'm coming for you. Are you with me? What are you worried about? Either you're coming to me or I'm coming for you. The end. It's the end of all worry. Our hope. When we flee to the hope of the return of Christ, it's the end of all worry, the end of all pain, the end of all sorrow, the end of all separation. And we are greatly encouraged today. Today. And then one more part of that verse. Can we go back to that verse in Hebrews? At the end of Hebrews 6, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So that's the last thing I want to talk about As I was thinking about anchors. All right, one of you were kind enough to, loan me your anchor off your wall. Okay. I thought about anchors, right? What do anchors do? Anchors keep you there, right? Like you're out fishing, you're in the boat, you find the honey hole, right? There's a whole bunch of fish. You found the school. What do you want to do? You want to stay there. So you drop anchor because you want to stay there. This passage is talking about keep yourselves in the love of God. So with this hope as an anchor for our soul, what do we want to do? We want to drop anchor in the love of God. We want to keep ourselves there. So, beloved, you are called beloved and kept so that you may keep yourselves in the love of God. May I exhort you, whatever you choose to do, keep calm and eat bacon, keep calm and na na batman Out of all the things you choose to keep, number one, please, keep yourselves in the love of God by building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and by dropping anchor, if you will, looking forward with earnest expectation to the return of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And so, Father, first and foremost, I do want to just celebrate and thank you for being a gracious God, a loving God, who chose to reveal himself to us. I mean, you did it through your creation. You did it through your son. You've done it through your scriptures. It is just awesome to know you. And I just want to thank you for all the men and women in our heritage who, at the risk of their lives, made sure that your truth was handed down from generation to generation. May this generation be faithful to do the same to the next. And so, Lord, today, for anyone listening, wherever they are in the world, online, or here in this room, if, uh, if your heart has been stirred by the testimonies of those being baptized or by the Holy Spirit, by the scriptures, and you realize you're, you're, you have never made that decision to put your life into the hands of God, man, today's the day and now's the time. He has a strong grip and he's waiting for you. So maybe you could just agree with me in prayer. Something like this, you know, Lord, I, I don't know everything. My faith isn't perfect. I don't know all the Bible that I should, but Lord, here's what I do know. I know that you're real. I know that Jesus came, he died on the cross for my sin in my place, and he rose again on the third day, and and I know that he's coming back, and in all that is my salvation. And so Lord, with whatever faith I have, with whatever knowledge I have, Lord, I believe. I receive this gift of eternal life. I put my life into your hands. Grip me for eternity, I pray. And now, Lord, as a kept one, I pray that I would keep myself in your love, that I would drop anchor in the love of God every day. And then the rest of my life would just simply be an overflow of my loving relationship with you, that beginning at home and in my with my classmates, my coworkers, my teammates, my neighbors, my friends, that they would see my loving relationship with you as just an overflow into my relationship with them. Lord, let them see you in me. That's my prayer. For your great name's sake, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.